Well, good morning. Um, welcome to Live Oak. I haven't met you. My name is Mark Porter. I'm the executive pastor here. We are glad that you are with us uh, for week three of The Struggle is Real. And as Tammy said, we're talking about temptation. Yay! So I think Doug is getting back at me for all the short jokes I've made about him. Because the last time I taught, it was conflict. This is temptation. And I get anger, too. So... Maybe he's trying to tell me something about me, but uh, we're going to get through it, and if you are looking for a light, fluffy sermon today, you ain't going to get it. It's, this is a hard message to teach. It's a hard message to hear, but we have got to address this, because if we don't, we're doing a great disservice to the scriptures, and we're doing a great disservice to ourselves about what God has to say about temptation and sin. So buckle up, hang in there, and let's get real about our struggles. This is kind of what we've been saying about this series, is that we have got to get real about our struggles if we want to get moving. If we want to get moving, if we want, them to, if we want it to be different. And so, I'll go back. What happened? Oh. We've got to get real with yourself, and with God, and with others. God already knows. For some of us, we need to have an honest conversation with ourselves, and for some of us, we need to have an honest conversation with someone else or someone's else who want good things for us and don't want anything from us. We have got to get real about our struggles. And this is the verse that we've been uh, kind of coming back to throughout this series. It's kind of tying it all together. And it, uh, Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said it was good to struggle because he could lean into Christ's strength and know it wasn't all about him. And here's what I want to say just to start off is that we, Doug mentioned this last week that for our struggles, we need both practical solutions and spiritual solutions. We need both the practical and the spiritual. And I think a lot of times we will default to the practical and ignore the spiritual. I know I do in my life. But you are a spiritual being. You are an eternal being. Peter said we are aliens and strangers here. You are an eternal being. So do not ignore the spiritual side. So why do we struggle? Well, we struggle for one primary reason, and that's sin. There's brokenness in our world, but it breaks down into three different areas. See, sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, and since then, it's been a mess. I'm a mess. No one's disagreeing. You're a mess, right? And what this means is we are sinful, prideful, selfish people in ourselves, right? This is not a pep talk, right? And what the Bible calls this is the flesh. It's wanting to live the old way of life, the flesh way of life, the plan B way of life. And I'm going to refer to plan A and plan B several times today. Plan A is God's design and uh, uh, way of life, the preferred way of life. Plan B is pretty much our way. Want to do it our way, and we get off the rails, and it's a mess, right? So, the flesh. The second one is the world is a mess. The people of the world are a mess. 
and the world itself is a mess. It's a broken world. We don't have to look very far. We just turn on the news, right? There's disease and war and famine and just and human trafficking and just awful things in our world. It's broken. It's a mess. I'm a mess. You're a mess. The world's a mess. And we have an enemy that wants to make a mess of it all. There is a spiritual component to this. There is a spiritual component to this. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, yeah, he, he conquered sin and death. We are fully forgiven. We are rescued when we confess Jesus as our forgiver and leader, but we still have an enemy that can damage us. We still have an enemy that can damage us in our relationships. And he wants nothing else than for us to live ineffectual, ineffective lives outside of the design, outside of our identity, outside of the purpose and significance that we have in Christ. There is a spiritual part of our struggle. And so we're going to talk about temptation. We all are tempted. If you're not, you just cross the line of sin and you're lying into sin and you're lying. We are all tempted. Jesus was tempted. Temptation is not a sin. Sin is a sin. So what is temptation exactly? It's this. Temptation is a trial, a testing, a proving. And if you're taking notes, I would add this. I should have put this in here. It's a choice. Temptation is the fork in the road. It's a choice. It is a testing. It's a proving. It is an enticement, an impulse, or allure to sin, whether from my internal desires, I'm a mess, or external circumstances. The world's a mess, the people of the world are a mess, and we have an enemy that wants to make a mess of it all. That's what temptation is. It's a fork in the road. And ultimately, temptation addresses this, kind of the question behind the question is this. What is it that my heart is yearning for? This is the diagnostic question we can ask ourselves about temptation. What is it in this situation, with this person, in this scenario, under these circumstances, about that website, whatever it is, what is it that my heart, my soul is desiring here? What am I yearning for? And sometimes we don't even know. And for some of us, our biggest limitation this morning is we won't acknowledge that we have temptation. Or that it doesn't exist. It does. Let's just get real about our struggles. We all have it. And behind every temptation is a legitimate need. There's a legitimate need. But what is your heart yearning for? Here's the thing you should know about temptations too. They always come in way of our thought life. And so the the things you put into your mind, the truths you receive, the things you watch, what you read, how much you're on social media, it matters. Because if, if, if what you receive, if what you think is not true about you, about who God says that you are, then your perception of reality is not accurate either. And the feelings you have are not true either. So the way we think is essential. Because if what we think is not truth, then what we feel does not reflect reality. So I said temptation is not a sin. What is sin? Well, I think this is the best definition I've found. It's not my definition. Uh, I've seen several different folks use it, but I love it. 
It's when we meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. See, temptation is that fork in the road when we can choose plan A, God's best plan for us, not always the easiest plan, but God's best for us, or we can meet it in plan B, which is our, what we want, right? Or the way we're tempted. Sin is when we meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. So what, is, what are those needs? Comfort, acceptance, significance, sexual intimacy, control. No, nah, it's not a legitimate need. Hold on. Come back to that. Comfort, purpose, these are legitimate needs. And God has designed us with those needs. I'll give you just a real quick example. I love my mom's fried chicken. She makes the best fried chicken in the world, okay? It comforts me when I eat it. But if every time I get sad, I go and eat fried chicken... That's not a good thing, right? I'd look a lot different, okay? I know that's a silly example, but it's the truth. We turn to all kinds of things to fill us up, and they never do. So we're going to talk about a church in the middle of a sinful situation. We're going to talk about the city of Corinth and the Corinthian church. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and just a little background about Corinth. If there was a sign outside of Corinth, this is what it would look like, okay? It's got nothing on Las Vegas. Corinth was a wild city. It was probably the wealthiest city in Greece at this time. It was a trade city. There were six or seven different temples to different gods there. And the big player, the big player in Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite. Now, she was the goddess of love, and her temple was so large that it was said that it housed up to a thousand shrine prostitutes. This is why it's PG-13. And they were doing what shrine prostitutes do. Not only was it legal, but it was encouraged. This is how you worship, right? And so what Paul does is he plants a church in Corinth. I mean, this place, they were worshiping with all kinds of different ways. They were taking things that were neither good nor bad, like food, and uh, it just got ugly. Let's just say it was bad, okay? Sin City. And so the Corinthian church came out of this culture. This is what they grew up with. And they were, they were struggling with temptations, getting pulled back into it in their flesh, right? They're a mess. We're a mess. They weren't, this, was, this was a Gentile church. And Doug called them this last week. I think this was great. He said, the Corinthian church was really struggle city. They were on the struggle bus, right? We should have called it the struggle church. But we can learn from the Corinthians. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to give us a history lesson. He's going to give the Corinthian church a history lesson, and we get to listen in. So I'm going to read kind of a long section here in 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll talk about it. And if you write in your Bible, I always like to underline and take notes in my Bible and stuff. You may have a, there may be a heading in your Bible that says, Warnings from Israel's History. I would just say, if you want to write in your Bible, I would write, What Not to Do. Because that's what Paul's going to tell the story of about the Israelites. So here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and following. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. 
They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep, say it with me, us. To keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and get up and get, got up and indulged in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. And then Paul bookends this whole section, verses 6 through 11, with basically the same comment. These things happened as examples and were written down as, say it with me, warnings for us. Pay attention. Danger. What not to do. Warnings for us on whom the culmination of the age have come. So what happened here? What's, what's Paul talking about? Why is he talking to the Corinthian church? The Corinthian church was struggling. They were struggling. They were a mess. There was division. There was disunity. They were arguing about the Lord's Supper. They were, there were literally people preaching the gospel in this church, preaching celibacy in this church, and then they would go down to Aphrodite's temple and do what you do, Right? They were struggling. They're on the struggle bus. And we could probably identify with the Corinthian culture a little bit. I mean, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, man. I mean, it was crazy. And so Paul tells this story about the Israelites, not their, their DNA ancestors, but their spiritual ancestors. And he's saying, hey, they're a mess, and you're a mess. Pay attention history. We got something to learn. And what happened was, here's what happened. So the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt, right? They were delivered out of Egypt through the sea by Moses, right? They're delivered out of bondage, out of oppression into a new life. And God said, I'm going to take you to the promised land. And he led them by a cloud by day and a fire by night. He provided miraculously for them with manna and with water from a rock. You can read about this in Exodus and Numbers. I'm summarizing. And what did the Israelites do? They trusted God and they followed God. No, they rebelled. They went plan B. They wanted to make a golden calf, even though they're standing in the presence of God. Think about the miracles of God they saw. They were delivered through the Red Sea. They were delivered. They were, God was guiding them. Like they could see the cloud. God provided miraculously for them. And then they rejected God and said, no, I want to go my own. I, I got a better plan. I got it. Here's the lesson. We are no different. God has provided for many of us miraculously. And we have forgotten. We've seen lives changed around us. We've been provided for. We've seen the blessings of God. I mean, the fact that we have the scriptures is a miracle. And a lot of times this just gathers dust instead of allowing it to speak to our hearts. Here's what happened with the Israelites. Because of the rebelliousness of the Israelites' hearts, because their hearts turned away from God, it resulted in them forfeiting the blessings of God. 
Now, here's, here's what Paul is not saying. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are saved by grace, by grace alone. It's not saying you can lose your salvation. That's not what Paul is saying at all. And most scholars that I read on this say, no, no, that's not what Paul's getting at. What he's saying is you can miss out on the promises and blessings of God. See, the Israelites missed out on the promised land. And you're like, wait a second, Mark, I thought they all got in. This whole generation had to die off before God let them into the promised land. Only two guys, Joshua and Caleb, got to go to the promised land. Only two guys. A whole generation had to die off. Because of the rebelliousness of the Israelites' hearts, they missed out on the promised land that God had been promising them for ages. And here's the thing. If we're really honest, because of the rebelliousness of my heart and your heart, I can forfeit the blessings of God too. Let's be honest. Some of us are old enough to realize this, to realize some things that we have missed out on because we chose plan B and went our own way. Remember, basically the Israelites do what we do, meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. So I want to ask it again. What is your heart yearning for? What is your heart yearning for? What is the question behind the question? As you think about places where you are tempted or you have fallen into sin or even sin patterns, what is the question behind the question? Is it comfort? Is it security? Is it purpose? Is it significance? Is it adventure? What is your heart yearning for? And what most of us don't realize is these counterfeits for acceptance and significance and purpose and comfort will never, ever satisfy. And they always want more. As I think about the blessings of God, you go back one slide, I jumped the gun on something. As I think about the blessings of God, I've shared this story before, but I think about my dad. Some of you guys know this, but my mom and dad were divorced when I was young, and I had a really uh, strained relationship with my dad because he's an alcoholic. And that relationship pretty much broke and severed when I was in middle school and into high school and uh, basically never talked to him again. And I've worked through that, but I think about my dad, and I realize the blessings that he missed out on. Because he was an alcoholic. He worshipped this idol of alcohol. He was trying to feel something in his heart. He never met my wife. He never met his grandkids. He missed out on birthdays and graduations and all these things. And for many of us, and I know this is true of me, if I'm not careful, I can do the same thing. Because we don't build golden calves as idols anymore, but we sure worship our golden parachutes. Or we worship at the golden corral, right? What is it your heart is yearning for? Because one thing I would tell you today is that 
God wants to do something amazing in your life. He wants to do something amazing through your life. And you have no idea the blessing, and I'm not talking about money, the blessings you might be missing out on when we go plan B because of the rebelliousness of our heart. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As Paul kind of, he restates the, the warning. He says this, these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the age has come. So if you don't think, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful you don't fall. Be careful, be careful. Be care- You're like, I got, I got this. I deserve this. Right? There's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. I love the way the message translation translates these verses. It says this, these are all warning markers, danger in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our position in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end, and we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Amen? Most of us have lived this out, right? Making a mess of it all. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You are not exempt, and neither am I. We are all about one or two choices away from our life being off the rail, destroying our life and the lives of those around us. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else, Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. I love this last sentence. Cultivate. Nourish. Feed. Water. Take care of. You've got to cultivate God confidence. Yes, you need practical solutions, but we also have to address the spiritual. Ultimately, this is a spiritual issue. In a word, what Paul is saying here is you better get humble. Stay humble. Stay, if you're taking notes, write it down. Stay humble. It could happen to you. And better men than me, better pastors than me, have stood up in front of their congregations and said, I will never cheat on my wife. And then have fallen into infidelity. Could I cheat on my wife? Yes, I could. Maybe you don't want to hear that, but it is honest. It could happen to any of us. We are all about one choice away. A temptation, right? A temptation is an internal allure to sin, meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. We are all about one or two steps away. I could cheat on my wife, and so I am cautious of that. I'm careful of that. The situations I put myself into, who I spend time with, when I spend time with people of the opposite sex and how that happens, because I'm not going to get to the edge of the cliff and flirt with it. I don't have that much confidence in myself, and neither should you. Because once you get to the edge, it doesn't take much to fall over. Stay humble. C.S. Lewis says it this way in Mere Christianity. Great book. The essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil, 
Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God statement, uh, state of mind. Man, that is hard to read and hard to hear. But pride is a dangerous thing. And it's subtle, guys. It's subtle. It's subtle. It's, I got this. Well, I deserve that. Well, she makes me kind of feel that way. Or I like the way he, you know, compliments me. Danger. Listen from the past. Be careful. Stay humble. And then Paul's going to give us a hard truth and a promise. You're like, more hard truth? I mean, yeah. After I beat up on you for about 20 minutes here, here's the hard truth. Verse 13. No temptation, no temptation, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. No temptation. Yeah, Mark, but we, we got the internet, and you know how easy it is, and, and uh, social media, you know, I, feeds my ego because I get a number of likes or whatever, and, and you know, it's just, Paul didn't have to deal with that. Yeah, but the Corinthians could walk out the front door, I mean, it was right there, it wasn't just legal, it was encouraged. No temptation. has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, right? I said, we don't, we don't worship idols anymore, but man, this thing right here, woo, right? Like, this is a great tool. I'm not, I'm not bagging the iPhone, right? But, but it's real easy for me to go home after a long day, and I'll just check out, man, and I'll just numb out, and man, I'm in my phone, and I'm not connecting with my kids or with my wife or with my family, and suddenly I've worshiped this. Doug said we're better at replenishing this than ourselves. I think we're better at taking care of this than some of our relationships, especially our relationship with God. Be careful. It's subtle. Our identity isn't built up in the number of likes you get on social media. Here's what basically what Paul is saying. The external dynamics, the external conditions may differ, but our internal spiritual dynamics remain unchanged. The Israelites were a mess. The Corinthians were a mess. I'm a mess, you're a mess, the world's a mess. And we have an enemy that wants to make a mess of it all. We're broken, sinful people. That's why we've got to stay humble and realize it could happen to us. In all of these areas, we've got to stay aware, pay attention to the warnings. See, for most of us, we want to blame God, blame our parents, blame society, blame the internet, blame Facebook, blame the president, whatever it is. Instead of owning our part, instead of acknowledging that the most direct cause of our disobedient behavior is me, is my choice with the fork in the road. Because that's what I deserve, or that's what I'm owed, or feels good I should do it. Instead of going God's plan A. Basically, what Paul is saying is, no one makes you sin. You do just fine on your own, right? Sometimes the devil pitches in, but sometimes, I, you know, hey, I'm good on my own. I don't need help. And I'm not downplaying the difficulties or circumstances of your life. 
But qualitatively, Paul's saying the temptations in our world, in our time, in our setting, are no different because people are no different. And it's why we need a God who is crazy about messy people. The second part of this verse says this, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure. And God is faithful. And God is faithful. See, God is the way out. He wants to be involved in your mess. He's already waiting for you to invite him in. He already knows. And for some of us, we need to invite some other folks in who want good things for us, not from us, who will speak some truth to us. God wants to be a part of it. And he has a lot to say about your struggles, about your temptations. Will you invite him in? Will you humble yourself enough to invite somebody else in? I'll be real honest. Um, last several weeks have been kind of a rough week for uh, rough weeks for me, and I have lashed out at my kids like nuclear explosions. And they're good kids. They uh, they're not perfect, but they're good kids. And uh, my response in anger wasn't. I mean, it was way overkill. And uh, it's kind of weird because I hadn't struggled. I've struggled with anger off and on in my life, but I hadn't in a, in a while. And uh, so, you know, I talked to Mindy about it, my wife, and um, I'm like, she's like, what do you think all this is? What is my heart yearning for? Like, what is it about? What, why did I cross over into that? And I'm like, well, I just want them to respect me. I want them to do what I want them to do what I told them to do. She's like, "You don't think it's about control?" No. <laughs> I I've shared this in my guys group. I get together with a group of guys. We've been reading through this book together. It's really powerful, really great book. These are guys that want good things for me. Had lunch with one of them this week, and I was just sharing with him. I'm like, "Dude, man, I don't understand why I'm doing this." And uh, he goes, "Well." You know, we're kind of telling him the story and sharing with him. He knows my heart. And he goes, do you think it's about control, Mark? I'm like, did you call my wife? <laughs> and you know what? It's hard to be vulnerable with you. It's hard to, be, to go to someone else and say, hey, I need help. But, you know, he's a mess too. My wife's a mess. My kids are a mess. We're in this together, and we need people. We need God, and we need God's people, and we need to be engaged in his mission. Because this side of eternity, we're in process. And we need both the practical and the spiritual. I'm reading all I can about anger and engaging God's word. And practically, I'm going to go see a counselor next week. I don't think counseling's a bad word. And I think everyone should go. Do you know we encourage all of our staff members to go to counseling? In fact, the board has told our staff members, you need to go at least two or three times. And if you don't, you're going to have to come explain to the board why you didn't. Counseling is not a bad word. But for many of us, we need to address the practical. But there is a spiritual component. There is a spiritual component of this. And we need to invite God into it. He says this. He says, God is faithful. We've seen the blessings of the past. And here's what this, 
Last part of this verse, here's what I want it to say. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you don't have to deal with it. That's not what it says. It says to endure, to bear up under. And it's this, the Greek word here is like to strengthen, to like lifting weights. It makes you strong. Paul prayed for his thorn in his side. We don't know what it was to be removed three times. Didn't happen. But that's when he bragged about, I, my power is in Christ. In my weakness, I gain power from him. While your situation is unique, God has been working in the lives of messy, broken people forever. And for some of you, your temptations have led to a pattern or have led to you crossing the line of sin, which have led to a pattern, which has led to a habit, which have caused a stronghold in your heart and your life, and you don't know how to get out. Some of you need help. You need counseling. You need therapy. You need internet filters. You need accountability partners. You need a 12-step program. But don't ignore the spiritual. You need that too. You need people who love you. You need to connect with God and the knowledge of God and the promises of God. You need to connect with God's people who want good things for you, for your marriage, for your kids, for your walk with Christ. See, what Paul does here is he gives us the promise, but right before this section, before he lays out the warnings, he basically gives the Corinthians and us, this is how you do it. This is your part. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says this, everyone who competes in the games goes into, say it with me, strict training. They do not get a crown that will that will not last, but they do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly all over the place. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul wasn't worried about his salvation. You know what he didn't want to be disqualified from? Most commentators, most theologians say, think it was because he didn't want to discredit the gospel, the privilege of getting to share God's good news to others. He didn't want to disqualify himself from that. You have no idea what God wants to do in your life and for your life and through your life. You don't know the blessings that you might forfeit. Do you know this? Some of you guys know this, but a couple weeks ago, I ran my first half marathon. So glad I survived. I had to train for that sucker. You don't just show up the day of and go, hey, I'll just run 13.1. It's going to be great. No. It was 28 degrees. The wind was blowing. It was a 16-mile-an-hour wind chill. Hated it, but I survived. Do you know at no point during that run, I was praying to Jesus about stuff, let me tell you, but no point during that run did I say, I wish I'd trained less. No, I was like, man, I should have trained on some hills. Strict training. We have got to be consistent. We have got to prioritize. We've got to disconnect from some things. We've got to say no to some things that are good. Maybe one less activity. Maybe one less sports team. So that we can connect with things that matter. That will strengthen us. We have got to get real. And God will not always change our circumstances, but he is the way out. And he can provide a way out to stand up under these circumstances. 
whatever they are. And some of us need to say no to some activities. Some of us need to say no to some people, to some relationships, to some financial habits, to some electronic habits. We've got to get real. We need to get real with ourselves, with God, and with others. You've got to get real if you, got it, if you want to get moving. And here's the last thing I want to say, and then we'll pray and get out of here. You may already feel like you've gone too far. We've all been tempted. We've all sinned. You, you maybe think, I've made too many mistakes. I've mortgaged my values. I've mortgaged my purity. I've sold out my friends. I've broken my family. Maybe you've even ignored God, blamed God, rejected God, or blamed somebody else. Here's what I want you to hear. Don't miss this. We serve a God of second chances. We serve a God who never gave up on each of us. Don't you give up. Don't you give in. Don't you give up on the God who never gave up on you. He is crazy about you, and he's been working in the lives of messy people. I think that's why they're captured in Scripture because we can read and go, these guys were, man, I'm so much better than them, right? You have no idea what God wants to do in your life and through your life and for your life. Don't give up. Get help, both spiritual and practical. Because the only way we don't grow, the only way we don't mature, the only way we don't get better is if we give up. Let's stand together and pray. Here's the last thing I'm going to say. Can you identify your temptations? Can you identify when you might cross that line? Will you get real about that? Will you get real with someone? Will you get humble? And then will you hustle? Will you get into strict training? Will you get both spiritual and practical help? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is a hard teaching. It's a hard thing to teach. It's a hard thing to hear and receive, and yet we do ourselves a disservice if we are not honest about where we are. This is going to sound funny, but God, thanks for temptation. Thank you that they bring us to our knees and help us lean into you and into your people and into your promises. Help us in those choices to know your best for us. Give us the wisdom of your truth and guide us and lead us. Thank you for Jesus that he gives us second chances, that he makes all things new. We pray all this in his mighty name. And everybody said, amen. You guys are dismissed. If you would like to visit, I'll be down at the front. Everyone's telling you